Well, good morning. Great to see you guys. If you are new to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at this campus in Westerville. Grateful to have you with us. Let me ask you to do one favor. Uh, I, you're like, I'm a guest. I'm like, seriously, help me out. Here's what I want you to do. Take out your phone, turn on the camera, and put on the QR code on a chair in front of you, and that'll take you to a landing page, or you can just type it in, lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. So all the information you want to know about our church, you can find there. There's a uh, button there for upcoming events. There's a button for sermon notes. If you click that button, you can follow along uh, as I'm teaching today, and there's, you, know, you can take notes and email that to yourself. On the other side, there's a guest information button. Click that button. Here's where you can do me the favor. Click the button. Fill out a little bit of information. Let us know how you heard about LifePoint. That's is what uh, really interests me. Uh, we're always trying to figure out how to get word out about LifePoint. Then scroll down. There are five ministries we support from all of our campuses. If you check one of the boxes, whichever one is of interest to you, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry this, time, you know, this month. And just to, just to say thanks for checking in with us. So uh, that's something you can do. Um, for everyone else, you guys know Easter's coming up. Uh, super excited about Easter Sunday. We usually have record attendance every Easter, and we expect that to be the same this year. So there's something you can do to help me and us. Uh, they're going to be at 9, 10, 30, and noon. Some of you are thinking, noon, I can do that. Because you're going to wake up, you're going to have brunch, have breakfast, you're going to, you know, open up, you know, the Easter baskets for the kids, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't think I'm doing anything at noon, and you should come to the noon service. Now, the noon service is going to be special. I'll explain over the next couple weeks why, but that noon service for you, if you're able, is going to free up a space for another family. So think of it missionally. You know, on, on that particular day, it's going to be amazing. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to communicate uh, the gospel and the resurrection. Uh, but if you're able, if you can take your family out to brunch and come, you know, at the noon service, please do that. It'll help us out greatly. And that's the way this is going to work. If we don't have a lot of people shift to noon on that day, it might get a little uncomfortable <laughs> for people. So want to let you guys know that uh, and please help us out. There's also going to be a Good Friday service. We've never done that at LifePoint. It's going to be completely different than anything we've ever done. We're going to focus on what happened on the cross, and it's going to be an amazing time at Lewis Center Campus, 5.30 and 7 on Good Friday. So I want to let you guys know about those couple of things. Well, as we, um, as we get started here, I was thinking about, uh, you know, the child dedication and the babies and, and bringing kids home from the hospital, and I was thinking about how when Tammy and I brought my first daughter, Abby, home, here's a picture of Tammy and Abby from way back, and uh, Abby is now graduating high school this May. And so now I'm feeling it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I remember, though, when we were getting ready to bring her home, I, I was pretty petrified because I didn't have a lot of experience. I'm the youngest in my family, and my wife is an only. So it wasn't like we were super experienced. And they're getting ready to, you know, say, hey, you can go home now. But I had to go home and get the car seat and put it in the car. And they said, if it's not in there, we can't release you. So I thought, no problem. I go home, I get, you know, I get it out of the box, and you know, I'm opening it up, and I realize I don't have any idea how to put this in the car. It's like, I'm trying, I'm like, turn it this way, turn it this way, turn it this way. I'm literally, and I'm trying to, how do I wire this thing in? There's, how do you make this thing work? And I realize, they're going to give me a baby. I don't know how to put the car seat in. So there was a mom next door who saw it and said, look, let me show you. Came over, and she goes, it happens to everybody the first time. They, they don't know what they're doing. And they, she put it in. I'm like, oh, that's how that works. And you just snap it out. She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what are we going to do when the kid comes home? So we get home, and, and it was fun, 
because you start to learn your kid. And at first, all they do is cry, right? So you have to learn their cries. And you, you first-time parents or people who've had kids for a while, you know there's a different cry for hunger and a different cry for I'm, I'm wet and I, I'm, I'm tired, I'm afraid. Like there's different cries and you start to learn the cries of your kid. Then there's a moment where you start to interact with your kid. Like I remember, I don't, maybe three, three months, and I don't remember exactly when, but when I would smile at Abby and she smiled back for the first time. I'm like, we're connecting. And then I made the little O mouth with my mouth and she, she did it. I'm like, we're really connecting now. Like I know my kid. I mean, these, these are the things I'm thinking about when I'm preparing this message. Because in this series called The Ascent, we're talking about five mountaintop moments in scripture where God called someone to climb. He didn't call them up to, to move a mountain. He called them out to move, he called them up to move something in them. And what we're saying, the big idea in this series is that God's purpose for you is established in his provision for you. And on these mountaintop moments, God provides something for us that we all need. But I was thinking in the same way that it's tough with our children, because we're trying to learn how to connect with them. When it comes to faith in God and having a relationship with God, it's tough because it's kind of like a long distance relationship, is it not? I mean, we don't get to sit across the coffee table and ask questions and have verbal responses. That's not how this works. And it's difficult to learn and discern the voice of the Holy Spirit through his scripture and how to understand his movement in your life. It's just not the easiest thing. And we have to learn how it is to connect to God. And what I've, what I've also witnessed in my own life and in the lives of many people that I talk to is that if there's one thing that everyone wants to know from God, it's God, what, what do you want from me? Even people who are super far from God or people who've been following God forever, they all ask that question, God, what do you want from me? What about this season of my life? What is it you want? If I could just know that, wouldn't that be a game changer? to understand what's happening around me, the circumstances and difficulties and, and why I have the skills I do, why I have the lack of skills I do, why I have the, the situations, why did this happen? Like if I understood what God wanted from me, it would all make more sense, would it not? That's what we're gonna talk about today. And this is an epic mountain moment that we all know about in scripture. This is Mount Sinai. This is where God is gonna give the 10 commandments to Moses and to all of Israel and really to us. This is an amazing moment. If you have a Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 19. If you're following along, I'm gonna say several things just to keep you track with me. The first one is this, is that God reveals what it is that he has always wanted. In context, remember the Israelites were in Egypt. Last week, we talked about Abraham. Abraham was the patriarch. He had a kid who had 12 kids and those became kind of the family line of the 12 families of, or the 12 uh, you know, lines of, or family lines of Israel. And those tribes make up all of Israel, but they end up down in Egypt and 400 years later, they are living in slavery under the Pharaoh. And so they don't really know the God of Abraham. So they cry out to God, this God that they don't know well to save them. And so God sends Moses, the deliverer, to go. And there are 10 plagues that happen in order, you know, in all of Egypt so that the Pharaoh will let the people go. And remember the last one, the lamb? You see, God made a curse over Egypt and said, look, the firstborn of every living creature in Egypt is going to die. This curse is going to finally free the people. But he said to the people of Israel, in faith, I want you to take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and then put the lamb's blood over the doorpost of your house. And anyone in that house, when the angel comes down, he will see that house and will pass right over. And that became known as the Passover moment, the lamb's blood. 
And then all of, all of Israel would celebrate the Passover and they're still doing it to this very day because God provided something. That's the moment. And then they come out and then God is bringing them to Sinai. He's gonna give them the 10 commandments. And the 10 commandments are this epic moment where God is gonna reveal his law to the people. And the law is this beautiful reflection of the glory of who he is, the righteousness and holiness of God. When we look into the law, we realize who he is, but it also shows us who we are. It's like a, it's like a mirror that reflects God, but it also shows us that we, we're not like God. This is the moment, but right before that moment is what I want to focus on today. As we get ready to speak, look, if as I get ready to share with you, take a second and just ask God. Like if you're not a praying person, if you just like in your mind, in your heart, ask God something, like he'll, he's listening. Let's just take a second and ask God to speak to us today, okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use this, this time we have, this short time, through your word and your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Meet us on our journey of faith today. And we ask that in your son's name, amen. Amen. If you have that Bible open, go to Exodus uh, 19. I mentioned uh, what's happening in context. Here's, here's where it starts. Chapter 19, verse 1. On the third new moon, this is like two months out, out of Egypt. And at this point in time, everything's been focused on getting the people out of Egypt. Well, now they're out. It's been two months, and they're traveling to Sinai, to this mountaintop. This is the mountain where, where Moses met God, the burning bush, the I am statement of who God is. On that third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they set out from Rephidim, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. Now, there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Here is where we learn and God reveals what it is that he has always wanted. He's bringing Israel out. It says that he, he brought them out like, an, like on eagle's wings. This is like that moment where, you know, an eagle would come down and snatch something. So they, like that, in that same way, God put all of, you know, Israel and brought them out to himself. Why? Why would he do that? He says that you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples on the earth. Because I own all the earth. It's all mine. But you are going to be my treasured possession my people, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The thing that God has always wanted, the way, what he's wanted for all time is a people. His people that would relate to him. Remember all the way back with Adam and Eve, they were his people and he made them. He wanted to know them, he walked with them, but sin broke everything. But it has always been God's desire to have a people that would, would be his people, his treasured possession. Interesting. That before he gives the law, before he gives the rules, he's showing them, I want relationship. I want to know you. I want you to be with me. This is what God has always wanted. I want you to be a, a people, a kingdom of priests. Priests are the people that, that represent God to the people and represent the people to God. I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want to use Israel to be a holy nation. Holy, we usually think holy means like perfection, that they're good. But holy means set apart. That means there's a purpose. I want these people to be the representatives of me to, to all the world, that the world will know who I am through this people. That is what God has always wanted. 
I think, though, when it comes to us, most people connect to God with the idea that we relate to God based on what we do. That we think, okay, if I do these things and don't do these things, then I relate to God and maybe he'll bless my life. That's honestly how most people relate to God and frankly, even Christians. That we think deep down, well, I better do this. I better not do that. God's not going to be happy. God, you know, and we think, oh, I've just got to get God's blessing somehow. And that's how we relate. And, and I've found that it's true almost across the board. And yet God wants relationship even above all of those behaviors. I, uh, I was having a conversation with a guy one time, and, and I gotta be honest with you, there, there are some things in my life sometimes that just make me angry, like super angry, and maybe not the same things as you, but here's, here's, here's one, okay? Years ago, I was a pastor uh, down on Ohio State's campus with a, with a church that was made up of mostly college students, and uh, every year, college students would take a class called Comparative Religions, and usually there's a professor of Comparative Religions who's not a Christian, and he would rip apart Christianity first, just, you know, say why the Bible was untrue, why it's made up, it's like uni unicorns and fairy tales, and, and just destroy Christianity. And that's how they would start out comparative religions course. And, and a lot of those people who would go there are people just like our students who were raised here at LifePoint, go to student group, and by the time they're 18, they go off to college and they have faith, and, and it gets super destroyed in like 20 minutes by some authority figure who seems to be really smart and wise, and he just destroys them. And I watched many students go down there and their faith would get just messed up and I would get angry and I would think things in my brain that pastors aren't supposed to think. You know what I'm saying? But I thought, I can't do those things, but what could I do? So I decided I'm gonna do a class for the students that'll help solidify their faith. So whether some you know, alleged authority or anyone else, a friend, if they go to attack their faith, they will have foundation principles in which they can stand upon to be able to say, no, have you thought about this? You know, in the middle of class, have you considered this? So I, for an entire summer, I listened to nothing but debates between the world's leading atheists and, and Christian apologists who debated. And what I did is I tried to pick up themes of what was being attacked and what was being defended so that I could understand the basics. And I narrowed it down to four basic principles. Does God exist? Why does morality exist? Is the Bible legitimate? And did Jesus Christ rise from the grave? Because those four things, if you understand them, really create a foundation for Christianity because they're almost indisputable. In fact, when you understand them, you can stand up to anyone else who literally critiques it. So I put together kind of a four-week class, these information to help solidify people's faith, particularly those students. Now, as I did this, the problem was I knew that if I shared it with my Christian friends, they were just going to say, amen, Ed. So I needed an outside critic. I needed an atheist. So I started praying, God, you got to give me an atheist who can critique this because I need to see it through their eyes. That way I'll know if it's really solid. So that particular fall, I started looking around and praying and I found some agnostic people, about three different people who were willing to go through the material with me. Now, an agnostic person is someone who thinks there might be a God. There may not be a God. They're not Christians, but they're not really sure either way. So... I mean, they were super helpful to me and they, they were able to give me kind of a view of it uh, from an outside perspective and it helped me to, to finalize the material. But I didn't have an atheist, so I was looking and praying for an atheist. Well, one day I go into the shoe store and in the shoe store, I was the, it was at night and I was the only person who walked in the store. There was no one else in there. It was just me and a clerk. The clerk comes up to me and says, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm looking for such and such shoe. He said, well, it's probably over there. Well, anyway, he follows me over and says, hey, can I help you in any way? So because I'm chatty anyway, I just made small talk with the guy. And we're starting to talk and I asked him where he's from. He told me he was from, you know, out of state. I said, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I'm going to Ohio State University. I said, really? 
what, what are you studying? He goes, well, I'm a grad student in philosophy. I said, are, are you an atheist? <laughs> and he said, well, not really. And I'm like, oh. He goes, I, and he started to explain his idea of God. His idea of God is that it's kind of like a force. Think Star Wars, not personal. There's no personhood to God, just a force. Good and bad, yin and yang, things like that. And I said, oh, you're not going to qualify. He goes, qualify for what? So I just explained to him what I was doing. He goes, well, I'd love to look at your material. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I said, well, here here we'll meet. So we we met the first time. I explained what I was going to do. I said, I need your opinion. I need you to critique it. I need you to tell me what's strong, what is weak. And I promise you, I won't argue with you. I will respect your opinion. And I promise not to try to convert you. He's like, deal. I said, great. So then we started meeting. For the next four weeks, I shared the material, asked him lots of questions, and man, he added a lot of stuff in. He gave me different outside view. I think he was surprised by some of the the validity of what I was teaching. I mean, all this stuff. And at the end of it, as I got to know him, I realized that he had a particular view of God and he had a particular ethic that he, he was a moral guy. And here's what he said to me at the end. He said, Ed, I don't have a God that's personal and it makes life lonely. There's nobody to talk to. He said, maybe Jesus could be the face of my God. I said, you mean like a mask? Like you take the mask off Jesus and just put him on the God that you kind of made up in your head? He's like, okay, that won't work. I'm like, yeah, that won't work. And he asked me this question. He said, Ed, don't you think though, like let's say you're right, Ed, and let's say I'm wrong, okay? Just for argument's sake, let's say you're right. And when I die, don't you think God would at least let me into heaven? Even if I'm wrong, don't you think God would let me in heaven? I'm like, I don't think so. He goes, but, but you're, you know that I'm a moral kid. And, and this guy had a definitely a good moral compass. He, he was trying to live his life the way he thought was right. I said, no. He said, why not? I said, buddy, I said, heaven isn't like a reward for behavior. Heaven is a culmination of a relationship. We live by faith now, but there will be a day we are, we are brought together. It is the culmination of an incredible relationship that God is cultivating in our lives. Don't you see? We think it's about the rules and God has always been about relationship first. Here's the problem though, is that we all face a hurdle that we can't jump. Every one of us, we all face a hurdle that we can't jump. Here's what happens next. So so Moses goes to the people, tells them what God said, and they're like, okay, we're in. We're in. Just tell us what to do. He says, well, I want you to to consecrate yourself. That means set yourselves apart and pray because in three days I'm going to go up and we're going to talk to God. And so God says to Moses in verse 12, you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up to the edge or to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So God is telling Moses, look, when when I call you, you're going to hear this trumpet. It's going to be a loud trumpet, and the people are all going to come out. I want them to come out to the edge of the mountain, but do not go up on the mountain. I'm telling you right now, you're going to come up. I'm going to call you up, but no one else is coming up. Everyone is going to stay out. And if anyone goes to touch the mountain, they need to be shot. They need to be arrowed. You know, whatever it is, they cannot touch the mountain. So they're like, okay. And here's what happens, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. 
And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because of the Lord, and he had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, I want you to think about this mountaintop moment. This is the moment where all the people who've been waiting to meet this God, and they're all come out, and they're near the mountain. He said, don't come, don't touch the mountain. And But Moses goes up. He's going to climb the mountain. But there's fire coming down on the mountain. There's smoke everywhere. There's lightning and thunder, and there's a trumpet. doesn't say where the trumpets came from. I assume that's heaven. Like, a trumpet is happening because God is coming down to man. And they were terrified. They were absolutely terrified, but they were not to come to the mountain. You see, there was a hurdle between them and God. And that hurdle is the same hurdle that everyone faces. And the problem is sin. God is a holy God. And we in our sin cannot come to God. That's the problem. And because God is holy, if we come to him, we will burn up. Our lives will be over. And I think on this side of the cross, and anyone who's been in this room hears about the grace and mercy of God. We talk about every week about that, that God loves us in spite of our sin. He sent his son to die on a cross. He rose from the grave. And how he comes to all of us says, anyone who can come to me, come to me in faith. We see the grace and mercy of God and we forget the terrifying nature of who God really is. You see, you can't come to God because he is absolutely holy. This is, this is the issue and I think because of where we sit on this side of history, we forget it. And look, if you came in the room and you're just trying to figure this out, let me tell you what every believer does after a while. We forget about the incredible power and holiness of God. And here's how we forget. We start to treat God much like we would treat a local restaurant. We find a restaurant that we want because we like it. We like the food. We like the atmosphere. We like the price. When we go there, they, you know, they seat us where we want to be seated, and they come out quick. They get the service. The food comes out perfect and hot, and it tastes good. It's the right price, and we have a great experience there, and so we go back. It's a value add to our life. But if we go there, and you know, the food's not as hot as we were wanting, and they get the order wrong, and the waitress wasn't very nice, and you know, the, they, the things just were wrong, and the price, I mean, like, we, we, we just cross that one off the list, not going back. It's not a value add to my life. I don't go back. And because we're on this side of the cross, sometimes we treat God like that, like, like church. Like, you know, I'll go if, you know, if the band sounds great like they did today. They were fantastic. But man, they better keep it up, right? If the preacher's not too long-winded, you know, if the kids' ministry's good, if I can get in and out on time, we treat God, we treat church kind of like, like a consumer would. Almost like if it's a value add, I'm in. If I'm not busy, if it adds something to my life, I'll come. We treat God like that. We, you know, I'll read and pray when it's a value add. I'll, I'll maybe do something. I'll write a check. I'll serve somebody if it's a value add, if it's a good experience. And we forget. We forget who God is. And there's a hurdle. And we, we treat the cross almost a little less than it should be treated. I think the other thing that we need to remember is this. That for Moses, and on, on that side of history, when Moses came down from the mountain, when he had been given the law, 
He told him, look, this is, this is what you need to know about God, his holiness. And you can't just come to God. You gotta keep the law. You gotta keep all of these sacrifices. And, and they built a tabernacle. That's a portable temple. And that eventually became a temple in Israel. They actually made a temple. But in both cases, there was a room called the Holy of Holies. In that room, there was a huge curtain that separated you know, the Holy of Holies from the people. And only once a year would a priest go in there and he would take in a lamb's blood, that perfect lamb on the day of atonement. He would go in and he would, they would sacrifice the lamb and they would put the blood and they'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat right above the ark. Like that was the moment where they're like, God, do you forgive us this year? And, and if God forgave them, like it was, a, you know, it was positive, right? But God would show up in that room in the holy of holies and that curtain separated. The only way you could go to God was to keep all of these things because of the hurdles of God's holiness. But God did something. His provision is a foreshadowing of his brilliance. What happens next is really a foreshadowing of the incredible brilliance of God and his provision. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you yourselves warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest they break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Do you guys see the brilliance? It took me a minute, okay? It took me a minute. Let me explain. So Moses goes up. Now remember, God has already told the people. Moses goes up and God says, look, you need to go down and warn the people. And Moses is like, I don't have to warn the people. You already told them. You told them not to come to the mountain. You already told them, I don't need to go down. He goes, look, I'm telling you right now, go down and tell the people, don't come to the mountain. Because if they do, they're gonna die. Tell the priest, tell the people, Moses, you need to go down. Moses like, I don't know why I would need to go down. You already told them. He's like, Moses, go down. Like, I'm, I'm making that up, the tone, right? But why? Why would he need to tell them? Because the people are going to disobey God. They're going to come to the mountain. They're going to, you know, he's going to be up there a little too long. And the people are going to think, well, maybe I should go up and look. I'd like to go up and look. What does God look like? What is, what is all this thunder and fire? I want to go see. People are going to disobey God and they're going to die. So God says, I need you to go, Moses. Moses became a mediator between God and man. There's a hurdle. We can't go to God. But God sent a mediator to go down. And look, the people didn't know they needed one. The people had no idea what was going to happen to them. The people were going to die because they were going to get curious. They were going to disobey God and they were going to die. And God, knowing they were going to disobey, in spite of anything they were thinking, not understanding, he said, go, Moses, you're going to save their life. He sent a meteor because he knew what they needed before they even knew they needed it. It's brilliant. It's a picture of who God is, that he always knows what we need before we need it, in spite of the fact that he knows we'll be disobedient. Let me ask you something. Honestly, you ever been disobedient? Have you ever known God wanted you to do something and you just didn't do it? I'm not talking about just reading the Ten Commandments and understanding that. Like, it goes further than that. The book of James, James, the brother Jesus wrote, that for him who knows to do good and doesn't do it to him, that is sin. That means it's not just the stuff we shouldn't do. It's the stuff we know we should do. Like, we're constantly disobeying God. And God says, I'm gonna provide for them even in their disobedience and rebellion. I know what they need, even though they don't know that they need it. 
And here's the thing, you can trust a God like that. And here's what I know about your life. And you're like, Ed, you don't know me. Listen, I know, I know, I know. I know everyone in this room struggles with trusting God. Every one of us, because that's what faith is. It's a faith journey. This is what pleases God, to have faith. But when you have faith, you don't see him. And when you don't see him, you start to think. But what if God doesn't show up? What if he doesn't answer this? What if it doesn't, you know, God, God, I, please. How do I know that you will? And we start to panic. But God knows what we need in spite of the fact that he knows that we'll disobey him. And he knows what we need even when we don't know that we need it. You can trust a God like that. And how is this, a, how is this brilliant? You know, I have two daughters. My oldest daughter, you saw a picture of Abby. I have a younger daughter. Her name is Carly. Carly is an artsy kid. She's been artsy her whole life. Like she can, she plays music, she sings, she paints, she draws. Like if she sees it, she can draw it. And she makes wonderful pictures. And I'm like, well, how do you do that, Carly? She goes, I know, I can just see it in my head. Like, so you can just see that and draw it. She's like, yes. I'm like, how do you do that? She goes, daddy, I see it in my head. I'm like, that doesn't help me. I don't see those things in my head. But she loves Bob Ross. Guys like Bob Ross. Like he's so chill, right? I know, I know he's not with us anymore, but we have just all of that material online that you can listen and like he's so good. He he puts up a like a little picture. You guys remember the little picture he'll put up like a little dot of green and you're like, oh, is that a tree? And it turns out it's not even a tree, it's like something else. And then he's brown and it turns into this beautiful forest. And a little blue over here, a little blue over here, and it turns into this beautiful brook, mountains. And the guy, the guy's brilliant, but you have to see his brilliance unfold, don't you? You don't just see it immediately. You have to watch it unfold. That's the beauty of a show. Here's the thing. You want to know what God wants from you. You really do. I know that. I want to know what does God want in this season of my life? What does God want in this circumstance? Let me show you how the brilliance unfolds and it'll show you what God really wants from you. You ready? You see, to the people of Israel back then, he saved them by a lamb's blood. They were carried out of Egypt by, they were protected by a lamb's blood and they got out. He provided the law to show them the holiness of God and their need for God. That's what they did. That's what God did. He gives them a mediator, someone who would go down and be a go-between between God and man. And why did he do all this? Because what he wanted all along was that they would be his people, a holy nation, separate for him, his treasured people, that would be his kingdom of priests. That's what he wanted, and that's unfolding as we see it. Do you see the brilliance? Does God not save us by the Lamb's blood? Does he not do the same thing? That wasn't there, uh, you know, generations who would celebrate the Passover, generations who would, who would say the Lamb is, you know, God provided a Lamb. And then what happened when, when John the Baptist was on the scene and Jesus walked in, he said, there he is. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's the one who died on a cross and rose from the grave. It was his blood. Then we accept that in faith. It washes away our sin. He frees us from the law. The law that we can't keep. The law was supposed to show us the holiness of God and how much we can't keep it. And you know what we do? We look at our lives and think, well, well I'm better than that person. And, but someone's looking at us and saying the same thing. We all break it. It's part of our sin nature. We need freed from the law. And then you know what happened? Jesus became our mediator. He is the only mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. He's not like Moses, who was a tool that God used for a season. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who raped on flesh to come down and become a man so that he would understand us completely. He died for us, but now he sits on a throne and he's a mediator on our behalf because he understands everything about us. 
And anyone who comes to him in faith, when we struggle with disobedience, he says, but that one belongs to me. I wrote his name in the book of life with my own blood. That's the kind of mediator that we need. And then what does he do? All of that? You know what Peter wrote? Peter's one of my favorite characters in all of scripture. He wrote a letter to the church. And in the letter, he wrote about faith and he wrote about Jesus. He wrote about all this incredible stuff. And what was all of that in light of of all of who Jesus is? Verse nine, chapter two. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The very thing that God has wanted all along is the very thing he's doing through Jesus Christ. What does he want for your life? If you are a believer in Christ, you know what he wants? He wants a relationship with you to guide your life that you would be set apart for his purposes. So yes, do we do all these things in life? Like, do you go to work? Yes, do you go to school? Yes, do you, do you take care of these babies and raise them in your home and teach them to know and love Jesus? Like all the things that we do, yes, but there's something that supersedes all of that. You see, all these things that we do will be gone one day, but he has eternal purpose in our life to be a kingdom of priests. That means he wants us to represent him to the people around us and that we would be, you know, represent these people to God because of what Jesus did. That's the beauty that unfolds. And so then we simply say, instead of just trying to get distracted by life, we say, God, use us in spite of all these distractions. Use in the middle of these distractions. Put your glory in me. Make me like a mirror that reflects you to the world and help me to to see the world and teach them the message. Be the warning to them with love and grace and mercy. That's what our lives are about. And if you came in today and you're like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like I can go to God. I, don't, I feel like, you know, I'm just showing up today was maybe a stretch for you. Like just, you know, you feel like, I mean, I don't know if God would even like me. Let me tell you something. Yes, there's a wall. But something happened on the cross when Jesus actually died. That holy of holies in the temple, the curtain, which was a huge curtain, was very thick. And you could not go in between there because that's where God met with the people. Something happened on the cross. The curtain, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Someone, no human came in and did that. But the curtain was ripped. God ripped the curtain. And you know what that means? The writer of Hebrews says that you and I can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. So if you came in today and you're like, I don't know if I could go to God. Let me tell you something. He ripped apart the curtain. The hurdle that separates God and man because of Jesus, we can come boldly to him in faith and receive his grace and mercy in our life. Wherever you're at today, let's connect with God. Let's stand and we're gonna pray here or we're gonna sing in a second. When, when I'm talking, sometimes I know that you're, you sense God is speaking to you in a different way even than what I'm talking about. And in this moment, I just want you to talk to God. Connect with him. And maybe for some of you, there's something very specific. Maybe you've allowed the world to be a distraction. You've allowed your, your ambition in life, your direction in life, whatever. You're, you've allowed that to become the primary thing in your life and you've forgotten that God has set you apart to be a beacon for his glory to be a mirrored reflection of his beauty. And you've, you've just allowed the distractions to be your life. And for you, maybe this is the time where you say, all right, God, I need you to take over. Maybe for some of you, you've allowed some things to get in your life that you know God would not approve of. And that becomes like an entanglement. It's hard to be a beacon for him when we're, we're getting caught up in stuff, caught up in junk. And maybe for some of you, 
Today's your day where you receive the grace and mercy of God. You stop running and you come and allow what he did on the cross to be, to be the thing that wipes away your sin completely and makes you right with God. As we get ready to pray and, and sing, I'm just gonna remind you that if, if every week we have this thing in the back called Next Steps, and that is a place where if you just want someone else uh, to listen and, and pray with you, they'll do that. If, if you want a resource, they probably have a resource back there they'll give you for free. There's all kinds of books that they have back there at Next Steps. If you're thinking about baptism or anything at all, you can go back to Next Steps. As we start to sing, just kind of slip out of your seat, go back there and they'll talk with you and help you. They'll pray with you if you need that, whatever is best. But I just want to remind you to do that. Connect today with God. Close your eyes, bow your head, talk to God. If you're have allowed yourself to be distracted, you've allowed junk in your life, just talk to God. Say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Maybe you've, you never saw the reality that God is trying to use your life. Here's the correct response. God, use me then. Show me how to do that. Just tell him, God, use my life. Any which way that you want, Father, use me. And if you came in today and you'd say, you know what, I don't know that I'm right with God, you can be right with God right now. Here's what you say to him. In your heart, you can mumble it under your breath, you can just say in your heart, he knows your heart, he's reading your heart. Just say, Father in heaven, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Maybe you've always believed that, but tell God right now, God, I believe you. I believe in what you did. The Bible also says that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Here's how you do that. You say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I ask you right now, will you please come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sin? I am sorry. I know that I, know that I don't meet up to your standard and I'm sorry, but I'm asking you now, Jesus, will you please forgive me? And I say, Jesus, will you lead my life and help me to follow you by faith? Will you accept my simple step of faith today? Just tell him that. You need to know that that simple step of faith is what makes you right with God because he cleared the hurdle of sin between God and man with what he did on the cross. You don't need to clear that hurdle. He did it. Your step of faith in what Jesus did is what makes you right with the Father. To follow Jesus means you follow his lead when you sense it. One of the things that Jesus said, and I wanna help you take a step today. One of the things that Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven, before all the angels. There's something about it that's important to Jesus. If, if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to acknowledge that. Here's what I want you to do. Between you and me and God who's watching, I just want you to raise your hand up. Say, Ed, I want you to see, and God, I want you to see. I want to acknowledge. If that's you, just raise your hand up high enough in the room, I can see you. If today was your day, I had two people earlier today. So anyone right now, you prayed that prayer, and you want God to see it, and you want me to see it anywhere in the room. Thank you. I see you there. Let me put your hand on anyone else. High enough, I can see you. I see you too. Thank you. Father, I know there's a purpose for all of us being here today. And I think for people like me, it's about allowing the moments in our life to reflect your glory. And God, sometimes the moments in my life just make me want to hide from life. And sometimes I have moments in my life where I'm like, oh, look at me. God, I pray that somehow, some way that you would, in your mercy, use us to be a beacon for you. That other people would know you to know your grace and mercy, to know your incredible love, to know what you did on the cross, to know your brilliance. God, by the way that we live, God, use us. God, that our community would be different 
because of the way you use us in it. God, I pray that for all of us in this room. And God, for those who took first steps with you today, I pray, God, that you would help them to sense you, help them to sense your love and mercy. We ask all this in your son's name.